Carly Chardonnay-Webb has been working as a sports journalist, including for ESPN, for over 27 years. She currently writes for OutSports and hosts a podcast called The Transporter Room, which I really highly suggest and a sport listeners to check out. Um, there's just so many amazing episodes and I have like a whole backlog of ones that I've downloaded and that I'm currently listening to and I, I really think a lot of people will learn a lot from her. She is also an athlete of many sports and is a staff operator for Trans Lifeline, which is the first and only peer support line run entirely by and for transgender people. Now, listeners, Carly reached out to me in December about coming on our show to talk about swimming and the cis transphobic panic regarding Leah Thomas, and we finally have time to be able to speak with her. So Carly, welcome to the end of sport. We're so excited to talk to you today. Johanna, Derek, it's great to be on End of Sports. I love the way that this podcast, more so than many, and I really more so than any, really gives a people's account of sport. And me being very much on the left politically, I think it's important that we really look at that and we look at how the intersections of sport and the working class and sport as a vehicle of the working class converge. So it's good that we have End of Sports. It's great to be here. Absolutely. That's one of our big... Well, really, let's go into the facts. And the first fact is that Leah Thomas is eligible by the rules placed before her at the time she first filed her per paperwork with the NCAA. And that was back in May 2019. Another fact, she's been on feminizing hormone replacement therapy for at least that long and maybe even longer. That's almost two and a half years if you're scoring as of right now. So that's well past the one-year threshold that the NCAA requires. Another fact, the NCAA made a major rule change in the middle of a competitive season. This is largely unheard of. This is something NASCAR would do, making a spoiler change the night before the big race. The NCAA, this is unprecedented. And in my mind, they did this. No, not in my mind. I believe this is a fact. This was done under duress. And before people say, well, Carly, that's your opinion, I have a critical receipt that shows this fact. And this comes from activist and athlete and just general all around badass Chris Mosier as part of the statement to Athlete Ally last week, where he said, quote, it is clear this policy is a direct response to pressure surrounding a current athlete competing in the NCAA. It is disappointing to me that after years of discussions and calls for more research, a new policy could be quickly assembled under pressure from people who don't want to see a great athlete 
use transgender succeed. Now, Chris has even further receipts because Chris has been one of those who's called for the NCAA, especially in the last three or four years to let's revamp, let's revamp the policy. Let's clean up some of the language in the policy. Let's update the policy to include the latest science and the latest information. And the NCAA has continued to balk and balk and balk on it. And we're talking about a process of three or four years plus. But all of a sudden, somebody throws a transphobic right-wing Tucker Carlson temper tantrum and things get done in two months? That Something's not jibing here. Another fact, who is driving the vitriol against Leah Thomas? It's largely the right-wing clickbait media like the Daily Fail in the UK. I know it's the Daily Mail. I call it the Daily Fail. Uh, the New York Post, OutKick, the yeah. typical right-wing... Fox News, you know, where the snake oil gets sold and think tanks like the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, another fact, who's putting up all these bills across this country or in 30 states right now, the ADF, and you want to know something? If you put all those bills in a line together, they look exactly alike because they are exactly alike. Mm -hmm. It's, it's cut and paste legislation. The ADF builds it and they find some willing anti-trans right-wing legislature to run with it. And that's what's happened. Now, one thing that people talk about, and we need to get, and, I'm, and we're going to get into this. We're, we're not going to shy away from this. First off, Leah Thomas has put, in, put up some excellent efforts this year. But again, you must point out that her times now are markedly slower than her times pre-transition. Now, her last full season pre-transition was way back in 2019. That's almost three years ago. Mm -hmm. She was a sophomore at Penn back then. And you notice those times were slower. And those times and that content and that accomplishment that she had prior to transition needs to be placed in context. Because there is this story that Leah, that, oh, Leah Thomas, before she, before she transitioned, she was a mediocre male, and now she's become a, now she's one of those biological males. Rah! Nonsense. It's untrue. Mm -hmm. And since people want to want to mention that, let's put it in context. Leah Thomas, prior to transition, was a podium level athlete in the Ivy League. She finished second in three events at the Ivy League Championship her sophomore year. She finished second in the 500 freestyle, in the 1,000 freestyle, and in the 1650 freestyle. She ran NCAA B qualifying marks in all three of the events. That means she was in the line to qualify for nationals. She was in line for a wild card spot. And people have to understand that A cut, the automatic cut to get into the, to get into the NCAA, that, an average maybe three or four swimmers a year reach that. So there's a lot of people in the wild card scrum, and she was in the middle of the wild card scrum, and in all three of the events, looking back at it, was close to the qualifying cut line. And remember, in in men in in the individual events, out of over two out of swimmers at over 200 Division One schools that offer men's swimming and diving, you only get 30 seats on the starship. And she was in that, and she was in that area, also. Consider who she lost to in all three events. She lost to senior Brennan, Brennan Novak. Brennan Novak is a seven-time All-American at Harvard. Mm -hmm. An excellent swimmer. One of the best on a very strong Harvard team that includes 
U.S. Olympian and medal winner Dean Ferris. So she wasn't the slouch, and neither was the competition. She was a pretty damn good swimmer before transition. And after transition, as expected, the times were markedly slower. Now, I know that there are certain people who look at, well, look at the percentages, look at the percent. Yeah, fine, look at the percentages, but also understand that Leah Thomas is a pretty dang good swimmer. Let's not take that away from her. Those are things that need to be put in context, and they never are. And also, uh, the, another fact, certain cisgender people have decidedly an anti-trans agenda, and that is why they care. Mm-hmm. And there are others out here who claim that, oh, we want to seek balance. We want to take the middle of the road, like a Nancy Hogsett Maycar and the Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group. Yes, I will add cisgender to the name of that organization every time. Mm-hmm. Let it be known. Names are going to get named today. The fact is, her group is no different than the ADF. They're just more polite about it. And the most important fact, and this is something that I want people listening to understand. There are a lot of people who talk about this isn't about transphobia. This is about fairness. This isn't about hatred of trans people. This isn't about fairness. That is a lie. Mm -hmm. This is transphobia. And I'm going to tell you why it is. Because everybody's talking about fairness, but no one talks about fairness for Leah Thomas. What's, where does Leah Thomas get some fairness here, I ask you? Because let's take a look at the last few months. In the time that Amy Schneider was running through Jeopardy, this is what Leah Thomas had to deal with. Leah Thomas had to deal with all these right-wing clickbait sites calling her everything but a child of God. She's had to deal with anonymous members of her team allegedly reporting, because I'm not 100% sure that all these are on the up and up. These, these anonymous team members saying all these different things about her. And all of a sudden, all these people who claim to support women and be about women's sports and quote unquote save women's sports, they're all of a sudden running on the talk, running on the talk shows and the chat shows ran by people who are against women's rights and women's issues across the board. Name an issue, they're against it. And Leah Thomas has had the better brunt of that. Mm-hmm. And while people can throw a rock at her and hide behind a tree anonymously, Leah Thomas has nowhere to hide. Yeah. Uh, up to this latest, ac- this latest accusation where she's basically being called a sex offender. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we're going to get to that at some point because, no, it is disgusting. My question here is, where's the fairness for Leah Thomas in this? Where's her fairness? Yeah, and like one of the things that that I keep hearing in all of this discourse, or, or I keep not hearing, I should say, in all of this discourse is fairness for transgender folks in general. It's all about equity, 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 until you start talking about transgender folks entering spaces that are created on this like dichotomy, right? Like the, this, this sex dichotomy sports are inherently producing are helping to produce a a social system that is viewed through that sex dichotomy lens. And no, but Derek, that's the thing here. And this is the, this is the other fact that people have to understand is that the people for the people pushing this hysteria, the hardest and the loudest, this has nothing to do with sports. 
Yep. And here's the thing. They admit to it. Yes. They own yep. it. They admit to it. You go to the ADF website, go to the Family Research Council website, go to Focus yeah. on the Family, go to all these different think tanks, go to Ron DeSantis' campaign webpage, go to Christy Nome's coming campaign webpage. You think that ad, that ad wasn't about this bill. That ad was about New Hampshire two years from now. Yeah. Go to their webpage. They admit to this. And then they even admit to things like, like, to all you people, to all the LGBT people who want to separate the T, don't fall mm-hmm. for that okie doke because they got a plan for you. They're running a game on you mm-hmm. because they're saying, oh, once we push that T out of the way, we're coming for the rest of you. That means marriage equality, gone, gone. Military service, gone. Employment rights, gone. Mm-hmm. Reproductive rights are something I'm sure that a lot of people care about. They're already going. And then if you, if you let the dominoes fall too far, they'll get the Price Waterhouse, and they, and they want that back too. And, oh, by the way, cisgender women who are worried about being in the space, remember what Price Waterhouse was about. It was about making sure that a company can't tell you you're not feminine enough to work here, i.e. what some of you gender criticals or gender-free or biological or whatever brand you're using this week. That's, that's the noose that they're going to tie around your neck when you're not looking. Mm-hmm. And for the people that are selling this hysteria, that's what this is really about. And you really got to be watching on a lot of issues. But I'm sure we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we need to. But people need yeah. to hear that fact. because I'm going t- to drill this home to you. I'm going to hit you over the head with it. Because it's that important that people understand that it's more than just a swim meet at stake here. There's a whole bevy of human rights and civil rights for over decades that are hanging in the balance. If you don't think it is, like I said, if you don't believe me, and I know a lot of cisgender people don't listen to trans people, you don't have to take my word for it. They, they give you the playbook. They tell it to you because they believe in many ways you hate trans people as much as they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I so appreciate. And so listening to your other um, your episodes on your podcast and the the guest spots you've had on other shows is that like the way you piece it all together, right? Because it's the whole divide and conquer tactic that stems from imperialism, right? You separate every single little group, you pit them against one another, so that they don't. There's no collective action. Right. And I think what you're pointing out, right, is that for all the people that are like, oh, well, like I'm safe, like I'm good. It's just the trans people that have something to worry about when as you're showing so well, right? All of these issues are deeply connected. The, 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 the GOP, it's not just like far right. It's not alt right. Like this is the GOP position. This is the main street right position that's coming after all of these different facets. Right. And, and abortions, well, it's obviously. It's beyond it's, GOP. It's beyond true. That. That's true. That's true. Because yeah, think about true. it. The, same, the same people that want you so afraid of trans people are the same people that were waving the battle flag of Northern Virginia in your U.S. Capitol. Yeah, they were the same true. Confederate yeah. troops occupying mm-hmm. the Capitol last January 6th. And those are the same people that are telling people like me who are black like me, oh, we're taking mm-hmm. your vote away. We're going to take you right back to 1855. Mm-hmm. Right. And and if we and if we're really gathering you, you think we don't like. No, we like the 16. We like we hate the 1619 project, but we loved 1619 and we'd love to put you back there. Mm-hmm. That's those are the stakes. Yeah. And and sports. I, I, 
not to bring it back to sports, but I guess it is a sports show. Sports <laughs> seem to be this this perfect, um, I guess, avenue, modality through which these conversations are like almost passively accepted and let's call it manufactured consent, whatever, where we are producing um, a lot of our ideas about gender, gen gender identity, sexuality, all of these things, but also this very, very traditional and hierarchical system based on or based on capitalist competition that is inherently gendered that is like reinforcing this this dichotomy like like I mentioned earlier so it seems like sport is almost a perfect um place to bring in these to have this if you were if you are anti trans that's a perfect place to kind of put your discourse and put your in your line of thinking because a lot of people, whether or not they want to believe it or not, like are learning these lessons from sport. Oh, yeah, boys play with boys, girls play with girls. You don't mix. And if you do, it's unfair. It's unfair. Uh, like it, everything's going to fall apart. We're not going to have any records. Things will be meaningless. There'll be no more sport. The Olympics will go away and all these things will go away. And a lot of people care deeply, like have a visceral a visceral love for for that competition. So I can see really why sport is this is this particularly easily easily um uh mobilized thing where these where the right whatever people who are anti-trans will take this. I don't really have a question here other than like is can we ever move sport beyond this discussion where we're thinking of instrumental reason competition records all of these things or or like can we even reimagine sport in a world where it's not based Derek, on these? that's a good question I, because i think that's what we need in a lot of ways yeah. i think think about it our most how old do you know how long our most popular sports have been around i mean we just celebrate the 150th year yeah. of college football yeah, not that long. So football, I mean, as we know, it's been around for a minute. Baseball, yeah. as we know, it has been around for 130, 140 years. Yeah. But now we're in a new time. We're in a new world. We may have to consider how do we, I mean, what will sports look like in an age of climate change? What will sport look mm -hmm. like in an age of, in an age of where we're going to need global interdependence to survive? What are these past times going to look like? How can they change? How, they can, how can they be different? How can they be more inclusive? We may, I mean, and there's, and there's people thinking about that. I mean, think about some of the, but right now, a lot of these sports that we call fringe sports, they could be the key to the future. I mean, yeah. I mean as, as weird and as, as unorthodox as it could seem, a sport like Ultimate Frisbee, which, is, which can be played co-ed, yeah. Or like, or like the guys who, who turned Quidditch into a mm -hmm. viable sport and now even a pro league, that could be the way, I mean, or things like athletes unlimited, for example, which is, which is enjoyable and fun to watch. And it's player centered and it's generated from the athletes, by the athletes, for the athletes, things like that could be a template of the future. And we may have to think beyond just the traditional models that we have and perhaps spin off to something new and perhaps those traditional models have to consider new things as well. I mean, 
I know at least one sport that that has to consider market change because of the realities of the sport, and that's football. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I grew up in Nebraska. I love me some football. But I also realized with the legitimate safety issues, the CTE concerns, concussion concerns, mm-hmm. this game to be viable in the world that's coming will have to undergo market change. And in a sense, the Olympics are another example because mm-hmm. let's face it, if the Olympics don't restructure, the Olympics are going to die. And one of the, and one of the biggest reasons is going to be just a simple fact of a matter of where can you host these things? That's Nobody right. wants yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And where will you be able to host these things if climate change, when climate change hits us? Because I could easily see the 2060 Summer Olympics in Anchorage. Yeah. Yeah. Let yeah. that sink in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely. And I, I think maybe I was putting that toward, we've got a couple of questions that we wanted to ask. So maybe I was <laughs> jumping a little bit, but I, I, <laughs> I just had to like hear some of that um, as we as we go into the podcast. The- well, it's just to jump in for a second, I mean, I I think it's I mean it's useful on many levels because that's the always that's always like the the go to response of like oh we are destroying women's sports as you already said, Carly, and like are you saying that they shouldn't be divided by sex or whatever? But I, but I mean, our, our whole project on the show, like you, Derek, you and Nathan started off the first episode by saying college football needs to be done away with, right? It needs to be abolished, right? So like, this is definitely part of our, our project is that like the way that sports are currently run, every single sport harms people, right? That it can be real, and they can use be used as a tool for discrimination, right? And so, so the issues that we're discussing here right? Like relate to all of these other ones. So this is, I think it's, even if it's maybe like getting ahead of ourselves for like the, the questions we laid out, like, I think it's really instructive. It's always useful that we talk about the issues beyond the issue, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. all these issues go back to the central focus that sports have changed. Yeah. At one level, sports have changed. Our society has changed. Sports is part of our society. Thus the change is, change is constant. But also on the other side, and I hope we get into this as well, is that a lot of these things, while we're seeing these market change, this is nothing new. I mean, we've been talking about, we've been talking about sex and gender and all these things and how gender roles play into sports. We've been talking about that for a dang near 100 years. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about this. This goes back to the earliest days of Avery Brundage. And yes, like I said, mm-hmm. if you don't know who he is, you will by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I always like to, when I'm talking to people, like we built sport. We as a collective of, of, of people built sport. We created sports in such a way that some might call a reflection of us, whatever. Like we created sports. So when we're talking about dichotomies, we're talking about uh, inequality, inequities, injustice, discrimination, oppression. We did that. So we've got to, we've got to recognize that and acknowledge that in order to even talk about, talk about moving on, I think, and, and doing something different and changing it, if you will. But one, okay, let's get back to the NCAA um, or, or the questions that we had, um, because I think I really want to get into that. Um, the NCAA recently kind of made a decision to kick uh, the sort of can down the road, if you will, um, and, and push the, the cis and transgender athlete question down to governing bodies of sport. 
Um, one of the questions that we had for you is why did they make that decision? Um, I think it would it would help kind of walking our listeners through that. But also, what are the consequences of that decision for NCAA athletes, child athletes, and 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 others? Well, Derek, why? Because the NCAA acted under duress, and frankly, they didn't want this smoke. Mm-hmm. They didn't want the smoke of having to defend a policy that worked for 10 years that was fair to trans people. They didn't want that. So they decided instead, we're going to hem and haw, leave a student athlete twisting in the wind, and then we're going to trash our own policy completely and try to delegate it out to a body that we've had strained relationships with. The NCAA and the individual national governing bodies haven't seen eye to eye to much in 60 years. Because think about it. The national governing bodies don't want, don't touch the NCAA and the NCAA really doesn't want to touch the Olympic movement, but they will touch the Olympic movement if they want to make another NCAA commercial about how we have 300,000 student athletes and they're going pro in something other than sports. The Mm. NCAA likes They like the press and they like the PR they get, but they don't want to deal with the nitty gritty. So they gave it away to the governing bodies. Now, what will this mean? What will the NCAA's rule, what all these on the fly snap rule changes mean? Well, for the NCAA, it's business as usual. Because remember, the 2A have done this, the college athletes forever. Whether it's on scholarships, whether it's on grades, whether it's on things like Prop 48. We didn't forget about Prop 48, mind you. Or all the other things, be it insurance, stipends, whatever, they've always kept the rules somewhat fuzzy, and this is going to have an impact. And also, it's interesting that the NCAA makes this decision at the time when the NCAA is under even more scrutiny than ever. I mean, there's much are issues that this delegation from to the governing bodies really points to. In fact, I think this is a sign of what the NCAA will end up being. Because think about the stressors that the that the two A's under right now, Co- the the effects of COVID, the wants of the Power Five schools. Because remember, mm-hmm. the Power Five schools right now are pushing for a greater and greater autonomy, and some of them want to leave and do their own thing. And there's also the matter of well, of what the Power Five schools hold in their fists, control the television contract. Because the only thing those schools really care about is football and men's basketball. And that's where the money is. Yeah. And also there's the name, image, and likeness issue right now. Mm-hmm. And that is completely going, that's going to change college sports. And people don't mm-hmm. think that it's not, no, that Pandora's box is now open and Pandora is going to do her business. Mm-hmm. Now for youth and high school athletes, you're seeing the results. And transgender youth losing this. And you're going to see more and more situations in regards to these legislative challenges because now they've been emboldened to do it because the NCAA is perceived to be on the side of those that are pushing for exclusion. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see more and more within the individual states in regards to what the, how draconian these bills are going to look like. There's a number of states where they're calling for straight up genital inspection stuff that the mm-hmm. IOC hasn't done since 99. They're, ta- they're, they're saying that you can challenge another kid who may not look the way we think that uh, this is about girls now. Yeah. Let's be real about who this is about. People, just a note to everyone, quit saying transgender athletes when you really mean transgender women. Quit, dehumani- mm. quit dehumanizing me and mine. 
That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Don't urinate on me and no. tell me it's raining. We know when you say trans athletes quit. If you're going to dehumanize me, just say point blank. We're going to dehumanize me. Just mm -hmm. be honest about that because you're going to see more and more challenges within high schools and sports are going to be more and more closed out. And that's going to, oh, and people think, oh, it's just sports. Then no, sports is a beginning. Yeah. Let me walk you through it real quick. Okay, yes, we're gonna please, close those. Please. We're gonna We're gonna close sport. We're gonna close interscholastic sports to those trans kids. And then next thing you know, that keeps them out of the locker room. You know what that means? No, they shouldn't be using that bat. They shouldn't be using any bathroom that doesn't correspond to what's on their birth certificate. And even if it's on their birth certificate, we're gonna say you weren't born that way. So you're gonna go to since you were born male, you're gonna go to that bathroom. And if you get if you get assaulted, too darn bad. You know what that does, don't you? It keeps trans kids out of school. Yeah. Keeps trans kids out of higher education. And then you can go after public accommodations for there, and that'll affect every trans person in a given state. Oh, along the way, that affirming care, that affirming health care thing, we're going to slap handcuffs on any, endo and any endocrinologist who dare give you a puberty blocker. This, and this will also hit cisgender youth who may not fit a certain mold. Yeah. This will get gen youth that are considered gender non-conforming as well. And it's going to give groups like the ADF more fuel to push in many directions like accommodation and affirming care. There's a quote that, that a guest on my podcast, and I was also on their podcast, Phoebe Rose. Phoebe Rose is the host of a YouTube series called Transition Story. She's based in the UK and she's been doing just interviews with trans people around the world and i was fortunate enough to be on an episode with her back in november last year and she came on the transporter room a couple weeks after and she was talking about the affirm the bill to ban affirming care in arkansas when arkansas passed it and her thoughts on it and she said what what people in arkansas have to realize that the only other nation on earth you, what you've done by passing that bill is saying that your existence as a trans person in the state of Arkansas is a crime. The only other place on earth that has ever made existence a crime in the history of this world was the Third Reich. Hmm. You let that sink in. And for people who say that that is ab that description is not apropos, no, yes, it is. Because to some people, trans people are untermenschen. And yes, I use that word. Let it sink in. That word fits. Because a lot of people, when they look at me, they think that word. The silence there is, is, is yeah. our listeners should be taking note of this in terms of, of how important. And, and I think what you're saying here, quite honestly, is missing from 100% of the discourse out there. Uh, let's, let's call it 99.99% because there are folks like you doing talking about this. But the narrative we hear misses all of that. This is well, about part of the, sports but, and competition. Yeah, but ahead. part of the reason is, is that, think about it. Who's talked to? Mm -hmm. right. When we're talking we'll about this issue, who's talked to? Yeah. In the last maybe four months or so, at least since in the last four months, since the IOC announced the changes that they're, that they're going to be implementing that go into effect in March, I've only seen one interview with the trans person directly involved in it. And that was when Dr. Veronica Ivey, 
who is another badass who I admire very, very much and would stand shoulder to shoulder with any day of the week, was on the Smirconis show on CNN. But other than that, when people do talk about this, you don't see trans faces. What you see is often cisgender voices, and they're usually on shows like Tucker Carlson. Look yeah. who Tucker Carlson had somebody who supposedly was a U.S. swimming official who also was a right, uh, a right wing writer and author who does a lot of writing for a right wing Catholic think tank. But they neglected to tell you that. See, there's a lot that they're that they're not telling you. And, yet, and that's one thing is we really get dig, dig into Leah Thomas. You got to realize there's a lot about the Leah Thomas situation that a lot of people aren't going to tell you by design. And there's a lot of things about trans people that people are not good. They're not going to give you the whole story. I wrote a, I wrote an article on this a few years ago called the transphobes playbook. And that's a major part of the playbook. Don't give you, don't give you the whole story, give you the damning part of the story, but don't give you the whole story. We have, and some, and if we don't have, and when we don't give you the whole story, we'll straight up lie to you. I.e. like all these anonymous people coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. And yes, I said it. Lies. They're not alternative facts. They're lies. Mm -hmm. And the pattern yeah. fits. And, and, you know, even like you, you were saying earlier how it's, this is not like a recent issue, right? This is something that's been going on for well over 100 years. And like, I didn't know this until recently, but like I watched the HBO documentary, The Lady in the Dale um about i can't remember her name a uh, trans woman who who developed like a car that she was selling in the 70s and 80s and it featured one of the characters featured in this documentary is Tucker Carlson's dad who was also uh, a news a news he was a, a newscaster and he was like obsessed with 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 uh the woman uh the the main carrot the main woman i can't remember her name he was obsessed with her because she was trans and just like so obsessed just constantly focusing on her body and that's what all these people are doing like the the obsession with trans people's bodies it's like it's disgusting like i i don't know why they're not looking in the mirror and saying why are we so obsessed with this and why do we also why are we obsessed with examining children's bodies like to your point earlier right that they're actually asking for but some of them are asking for genital exams which we know has happened in the past you can just imagine how awful that would be we know what's going on within gymnastics right we know about sexual abuse and it just is i don't know so it's just kind of lend weight to your point that like there's such a long historical trajectory here and right and then the facts that the fact that they're they're spewing lies but they're only telling certain parts is just like there's such a long history here but that's part of but that's part of it because right mm -hmm. all this is enveloped underneath this this concept that no we have to do this because we have to maintain fairness we have to maintain fairness this is all about keeping things fair we have to do this to keep things fair no this is really about keeping out the other mm -hmm. and that's what it's always been and because one of the things you talked about on your show february 4th was this obsession with fairness and the and all that really is is a matter of keeping out the other and this gives us mm -hmm. in a sense we need a smoke screen we need plausible deniability for what we know is prejudice what we know is in this case is transphobia because we have to offer this stuff to people in a way where you know it's mary poppins a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down the medicine 
go down the medicine, go down. That's what this is. And fairness is that spoonful of sugar that makes the femphobia and the transphobia go down. And a lot of it here is just that. It's femphobia. This is nothing new. What you're seeing with Leah Thomas is the same thing you're seeing that you saw in the 1930s. There's a reason why Babe Didrikson Zaharias was only in one Olympic Games because she was threatened with sex testing. Didn't want to go through that. Stella Walsh, same deal. The Fulton Flash, same deal. The naked, I mean, the sex testing in the 50s, the 60s and onward, the naked parades, where they literally had women line up, disrobe completely to see, are you a woman or not? This stuff is not new. And those anonymous reports on Leah, the most recent one, is a form of that. Yeah, for sure. It's a form of that. I mean, this goes back even deeper because remember, sports were about the elites, not the unwashed masses. Even the the founder of the the modern Olympics said that. Baron de Coubertin, it's about sports for gentlemen. That doesn't mean sports for women. He said it himself. Women should be super mothers, not super athletes. You shouldn't be making victories on the field. You should be making babies. So women were, women had to fight for that place. I mean, I mean, sports at the beginning was for the male white man, where sport was the beginning was for the male, whale white landed gentry. But then the masses got involved. So they figured, you know what? Fine. Let's use this as a tool of social control. So let's, let's restrict it to the, let's let the male white masses in, but make sure we keep everyone else out. And then, because there's always a line of people that have to be kept out, kept out. There's always for an other. Then when women fought for their place said, okay, fine, let in the white women, but keep those, keep those women of color out. Mm -hmm. And even the Olympics was like, let the, let the civilized world be in the Olympics, but the, but the unwashed colonials, no, keep them out. But then when those colonials became free and started showing up at Olympics mm-hmm. and started doing things at the Olympics, and started doing things at the Olympics, you begrudge it. You had to, you had to eventually let them in. I mean, the color line, if it wasn't the gender line, the sex line, then it was the color line and the color line is still in place. Just ask Colin Kaepernick and Brian Flores, how much that color line is still here. Yeah. And also ask, the litany of black women, be it, be it Alice and Felix, whose, whose examples and whose records are used shamelessly, mm-hmm. uh, or rather shamefully, by the people trying to sell this level of prejudice and hatred, and I think it's vulgar, to Castor Semenya, who I think her entire treatment, that mm-hmm. alone is a number one reason why I just fight these people with every fiber I be- my being, because no one has to go through what she's had to go yeah. through. Yeah. Right. That is what this is really about. This is all that's old is new again. It's just a new target. And right now the target happens to be a 22-year-old college senior at the University of Pennsylvania. And before her, it was a 21-year-old senior African-American transgender woman at a tiny college that people thought was a financial institution before they realized that Franklin Pierce was a college. Well, one question that we really wanted to get into is um, because much of this discussion, because everyone's obsessed with fairness and is obsessed with trans people's bodies, is the issue of testosterone. And like we all hear that a thousand times, right? That because of testosterone, 
men are automatically better than women. And obviously it's sexist to say that, like fundamentally, fundamentally sexist is fundamentally not true that men are better at sports than women. Um, And, you know, one thing that I've been thinking and like listening to your show and listening to some of your guests and, you know, you being other podcast guests is that they're really like isn't much sort of general awareness and maybe awareness, maybe it's awareness among cis people, but there's not a whole lot of awareness of the impact of hormone therapy, which absolutely is part of trans affirming healthcare, which I I totally support, but there's also not much awareness of sort of how some of those hormone therapy can like can negatively impact or at least can impact athletes' bodies. So I was wondering if you could sort of walk us through some of that. You know, we're, I want to emphasize we're not here to like, we're not here to obsess about their transition. We're not here to obsess about trans athletes' bodies, but really, you know, what sorts of impacts do these, can these hormone therapies have, especially when we're sort of talking about athletic competitions? Well, first off, a lot of cis people comment on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They comment on it, yeah. but they have no clue about what goes on for transgender people medically or socially in their lives. And all these think tanks that are trying to, that are trying to scrap affirming care, they don't even deign to talk to trans people. You've got people opining on trans issues that have no knowledge of me, no knowledge of others like me, no knowledge of any transgender women, transgender men, non-binary people, anyone across the board. I'd like to tell those people that either get some knowledge or please be quiet. That's the first thing. Now, as far as the health effects themselves, I mean, first, first I can say a person to really talk to to get, the, to get really a rundown is somebody who's been through this and researched this heavily, and they have a harrowing story to tell, and that's Kirsty Miller. Kirsty Miller, good friend of my podcast. I consider her a She's my Australian sister, Australian athlete and advocate. She's spoken at length about this. Go to her Twitter page sometime and she will give you full treatise, 80 page threads on all these different things. Uh, because I look at all the different, all the different things that have come out. There was, I mean, there've been court cases fought over this. In fact, one, I mean, there've been cases fought over this and won over these issues. And she spoke, like I said, she's a great resource. But as far as my own experience, I mean, I'm, I, I tell people often, first off, people get it all mixed up. As, as Mac Beggs, uh, trans man, athlete, now advocate, great young guy. Um, you probably heard his story, wrestling, a high school wrestler from Texas, was forced mm-hmm. to wrestle with the girls because they said, you have to wrestle, you have to compete in school, what your birth certificate says. Never mind, according to the National Governing Body, USA Wrestling. He's been competing as a boy in all their competitions for a few years. The point is, is that a lot of people don't know the difference. They assume that, oh, a trans woman's on steroids and there's all this stuff about doping. No, no. We're trying to cut the testosterone down. We're not trying to build more of it. And I tell people often, estrogen is a life-enhancing substance. In my case, it certainly is. I can tell you as an athlete, as a person who went tr- on a training run before I got here today, it sure the hell isn't a performance enhancing one. Mm-hmm. And my mile time will attest to that. But again, it goes back to what people don't know. And mainly what people don't know is when you're on, when you're on feminizing HRT, is your bo- in, in most cases, and it differs from person to person, your body is going, ch- going to change. Fat deposits are going to move in different positions. You're going to lose some muscle. You are. 
you are. You're going to lose a lot of natural effects you may have walked in, you may have walked into life with. You're going to lose some of that. And you might and how much you lose depends on the person. But there are so many variables that you have to also look at. One person who who is researching this right now is Joanna Harper, noted noted run, trans woman, runner, researcher. She's at Lowesboro University in England doing a lot of this research and a lot of the research, she, she says this often, there's a lot we don't know, but what we do know points to inclusion. Because there's a lot of people that take one sentence of her research and say, aha, aha, even this trans person says that, but they don't read the next two paragraphs, which says, no, it's not as cut and dried as that. So I think what people have to look at as regards to the results of hormone therapy is, number one, most people, if you don't know, talk to an endo, talk to other, talk to other trans people. Get this again is why you got to have trans people talking. You've got to get trans voices into the discourse because we can tell you point blank the differences. But there's a bigger question we need to talk about. Even beyond this, I mean, even beyond all this stuff about hormones and, well, men do this and women do this. My question is why is this whole men versus women thing a thing in sport? Why is it a thing? Yes. The fact of the matter is, the reason why men and women are, are separate in sports is largely for societal reasons because of sexism and chauvinism more than anything else. This is the main reason why we have this diff- why we have this split is mainly because for a long time we didn't let women play. So when we let women play, women, we said, fine, let women play among themselves, which is, which my attitude is, okay, okay. But there's a bigger question we have to look at here. Why can't we celebrate women in sports with the same intensity that we celebrate men? Why? Mm-hmm. Sexism. Mm-hmm. Why do we continue to look? When you, when you say that, for example, Allison Felix got outran by 15,000 high school boys, what you're really saying is trans women aren't women and cisgender women suck at sport. We both know those yeah. statements are both false. Yeah. We can, why do we continue to look at women's sports at a male lens? I find it vulgar and insulting. And I, yeah. and, it, and like, for example, UConn's women win 150 straight games, but they're not as good as UCLA under John Wooden. Why does it matter? Who cares? Why can't we, why can't, why is it that, oh, Diana Taurasi is a great player, but she's no LeBron James. Who cares? I like them both. Can we just celebrate women? Can we just celebrate women through their own land? Can we just celebrate, can we celebrate women? Can we celebrate greatness no matter what? gender it is can we can we can i mean that's that's the question we need to look at here because the people who most defend women's sport or claim to defend women's sports they're the people belittling it right they they sound no different than somebody from outkick making fun of the wnba again and i i find it vulgar myself i i think it's insulting and i think that if you can't celebrate greatness, no matter what packages comes in, to me, you're really not a sports fan. Turn in your fan card. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's 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 ironic that you bring that up because I was just reading this piece yesterday that was shared in a newspaper up here um, by Rosie Damano, who wrote it for the Toronto Star on the okay. Canadian the Canadian Winter uh, the women's uh, hockey team. Uh, the uh, Canadian and American women's hockey teams just destroy 
every all the teams because they're incredible and brilliant. Last night, the Canadian women's hockey team beat Russia with full N95 masks on the entire time mm-hmm. while they were playing. So they're just amazing athletes. And immediately when you see a, a like that out there you think why is that not the same discourse or why this person questioning whether or not women's sports should exist or women's hockey should exist in the olympics because they're so dominating but then in the men on when when it's like tom brady it's like a dynasty or like tom brady and bill belichick when they win all the time it's a dynasty or when teams win all like four years in a row it's like oh they're just incredible that is sex that's the sexism that i think you're referring exactly to here. oh I'd like to give Mr. Mano even better example since you want to talk about Olympic hockey. Love it. Love it. Gold gold medal 60 gold medal 64, 68, 72, 76. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Missed in 80, 84, 88. Mm-hmm. Um defeated defeated Canada defeated Canada when they said Canada couldn't lose in the Challenge yep. Cup in 72. Yep. Defeated NHL and WHL all and WHA All-Star teams 73. 75-79. And the only and the only game you lost in that stretch was because the Broad Street bully said, heck, we ain't gonna play hockey. We're just gonna have a fight. Yeah. And maybe a hockey game might break out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and who is that team? The Soviet Union. Yep. When Soviet hockey was running rushshot over Olympic and international hockey and could probably have won a Stanley Cup if you let them in the NHL, did anybody say let's just shut down hockey? I don't think so. See, we're okay when it's men's dominance mm-hmm. because men, because a lot of these people, they see sport as men and for women. And the fact is we have to remember that women's sports in many ways is still in its infancy in a lot of the world mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's mm-hmm. first, let's give Canada and the United States their due. They got great hockey teams. And right. to, to be fair, for example, to be fair for Finland, for example, I recently did a story on Rancha Savalainen uh finland has had two two major pieces of their team salvalainen they had salvalainen hurt neminence coming off of injury they were coming in kind of walking wounded into these olympics but also give canada their due they're good but remember this was the same finland team that at the last world championship that could that at the world championships in, in 2019 beat the beat the canadians got mm-hmm. to the final lost to the united states on a controversial call in the third period so, I mean, sometimes teams are just that good. I mean, rem- but also remember, this is the medal round. Because I remember in 1980, the pre-Olympic game at Madison Square Garden, United States got whipped 10 to 3 by the Soviets. Then what happened 11 days later? Do you believe in miracles? Yes. You never know. That's why you play the game. Finland could come back, get it together, and then go into a medal round and not Canada the United States out. So. I really, I mean, but this is the same old thing. They said the same stuff about softball. They've said the same stuff about women every time. Because I think, I'll tell you, I think that there's a lot, people still have that issue about women in team sports. People still have that issue. And there's a lot of sexism involved in that because, okay, women in individual sports, fine, because we can, those can be sufficiently feminized. We can be okay with that. But, Mm. but women having their own locker room and having that level of camaraderie of a team sport to some people, that's very threatening. Mm -hmm. That still is quite threatening to some people. Mm -hmm. So, and so some of that could be at work and, and let's face it, there are, Hey, there are women who are chauvinist. 
there are there are black people who can there are black folks who are anti-black there are trans people who are transphobic caitlin jenner yeah i went there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so hey yeah well and to i mean even just i don't know we have so many questions we want to ask but i mean even in like the as the cold war sport historian right the, the examples you bring in of the soviet union right there were so many um allegations of of doping and cheating there too right and 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 even Nancy Hogg's head maker brings that point up that basically like she experienced or she had to race against um, East German swimmers who are forcibly doped and we don't really know what their gender was at the time, da 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 da. And so it's this whole thing of sort of like anybody Nancy Hogg's head maker quit calling me, quit calling us dopers and cheaters. Stop well, it. Well, that too. Well, that and too. And that goes right? for and Sharon the- Davies as well. Stop it. Yes, yes. Stop yes. it. Those are, those are well, not even in the same ballpark and and quite frankly you know better but but really what are you gaining by doing it and you see this is the real sad thing since we brought in nancy hogshead maycar let's go there because let's do it i'll admit i'm i'm that hurts me because nancy hogshead maycar is a person i consider a hero for the stances she's taken for equity in sports for title nine of for title nine the flack she took for talking about molestation a good 15, 20 years before Larry Nassar. She was mm-hmm. talking about this and sounding the alarms, and she wasn't listened to, and it was to our detriment that it wasn't. And later on, we find out recently that 500 young girls, including some of the people that we cheered for and we marveled mm-hmm. at on those balance beams and on that floor exercise on that vault, people who we, who we took to our bosom as America's darlings and america's daughters our surrogate daughters they were and they were molested for years and nancy hogshead make our sound the alarm now to me that's a legacy and it's the same that she's willing to sell that legacy out for 20 pieces of transphobia and and it's really sad for me that martina navratilova which is a czech word it means margaret court is also joining in that and, I, and I'm saying this as a person who was a fan of Martina back when Martina was, was, taking all the, was taking all the smoke and taking all the hits. I'm talking 40 years ago in the 80s when she was rising to power and took all that ugliness and all that bile. And now she's spinning it back towards people like me. I think it's sad. I think, I think it's sad and I think it, it sullies their legacies. But as far as being called a doper and a cheater, come on. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, they're, that's. They're weaponizing. It's trans- they're weaponizing. It, yeah, it's yeah. weaponizing. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah. they're not telling the facts here. Right, right. They're trying to use yeah. that to weaponize. And that's not even, and that's not even, it's, it is a complete fabrication here. Yeah. I mean, and it is the, and it goes into this moral panic that you talk about. And that goes in and that plays right into people's again, it plays right into people's ignorance. And and that ignorance not only permeates fans, it can permeate governing bodies, because that's where a lot of where the USA swimming regulations come in. Because a lot of those regulations to me, they come in they come in from a from a gross misinterpretation of the research. It comes in again from what we just talked about. This extrapolation of data where you have men versus, where they're trying to pit it as men versus women. And by, and in a roundabout way, misgendering me in the process, 
by making these comparisons. When the fact mm -hmm. is, you're not comparing like you're you're not comparing likes like against like. You're doing the same thing that USA Swimming went went through some of the same, um, shall we say, methodology that World Rugby used to build their policy, mm -hmm. which was roundly repudiated by rugby federations around the world. Mm -hmm. Even their researchers were held in contempt for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're using research and. I think USA Swimming's using actually based on the numbers. I have a feeling they extrapolated from some decent research, but they used a piece of it, but they didn't read the next paragraph. Yeah. They didn't read the next of it. I mean, for example, perfect example, how bad, how difficult their regulations are is five nanomoles per liter. You got to hold it for 36 months before you can compete. Now, first, see, this is the misnomer. A lot of people said, oh, you have to, you have to hold like the 10 nanomole standard for one year. No, people have to forget. People, that's kind of a misnomer. Before you can hold it for one year, what do you have to do? You have to reach that standard first. Yeah. Oh, and for somebody who's starting out from dead zero or could be starting out from a certain place, that could take, that could take a year on its own just to get down wow. to the number. And then you got and then you got to show you got to continuously hold the number for one year. That can be a lot. Of, you could lose a year and a half to two years actual time for competition, but now wow. you can lose up to four. Which means theoretically, uh, a high, if, if you want to swim in college under these regulations with the NCAA saying they're using these regulations, you better start puberty blocking around 14 or 15. You better be on hormones around that time. And oh, by the, oh, I forgot, in about 30 states in this country, they're trying to ban affirming health care for yeah. people under 18. So you've effectively taken transgender women out of most NCAA athletics if most governing bodies take the rules that USA Swimming is undertaking. And really, it goes back to the one central focus. You know, it's that unwritten rule that some people have. We don't care if trans women compete, but you can't win. Yeah. Right. If, you're, right. if you're too good, we're not going to let mm -hmm. you play. And that's what many people, including Nancy Hogs at Makar, are saying. Mm -hmm. Nancy Hogshead Maycar said this all over Twitter and all over so yeah. many, so many broadcasts like Tucker Carlson. Why, if she's all about women's sports, why are you going on Tucker Carlson? Yeah. Seriously. Riddle me Seriously. that. Yeah. Riddle me that. Oh. If you're really about protecting women's sports, why are you going, why are you going on a show of a person who believes that women ought to be barefoot pregnant in the kitchen? Yeah. Right. Well, right. I mean, I, I just don't understand the consistency there, but a lot of it is the fact that and I, and I like to ask all these people, because Nancy talks about how, well, Leah Thomas hasn't mitigated this enough. She hasn't mitigated those male legacy advantages. And, and that's another thing about Nancy. Nancy always has to try and call somebody a male in a roundabout way. I say, no, if you're going to misgender me, and this goes for any transphobe, if you're going to misgender me, say it with your chest. Say it mm -hmm. with your whole chest. Don't, <laughs> don't, go, don't engage in that backdoor misgender, misgendering jive. Don't do that. Just say it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've been called where I've been called that on the street. I've been called much worse. But the point is, she will talk about he hasn't mitigated. Well, what's mitigated? Well, she hasn't mitigated enough. She hasn't mitigated. Leah Thomas did not mitigate enough. Well, what would be enough for you? 10 seconds slower? 15 mm -hmm. seconds slower? Me, Leah answer. Thomas's first meet, the first meet of the com current competitive season. What was her time at 500 free? It was 454. 
Is that slow enough? If she even maintains a 454 for the entire season, is that enough to say she, for, for some people, that wouldn't be enough. It's like, no, because the fact of the matter is a lot of people just don't want trans, they don't want mm -hmm. trans women to compete. And they say, well, we don't mind if trans men compete. And notice how Nancy's trying to, trying to tap yeah. dance around. No one's advocating for trans men. No one needs to advocate for trans men because trans men don't sell the agenda that the people pushing this hysteria want. Yeah. Right, right. But trust me, if a trans man gets pretty good, mm -hmm. that transphobia is going to come back. Yeah. It already yeah. is. There's a kid in South Dakota likes playing foot, likes playing football. South Dakota still passed the bill. As far as they know, as far as they know, young Chris Wilk is probably the only kid in South. He's probably the only trans kid in South Dakota looking to play, looking to play a sport in high school. And they mm -hmm. still, or that, or the young, or the young lad who's playing golf in Tennessee suing the state of Tennessee over that. It doesn't matter because it's not it, trans women is just an easy way to sell the agenda. But the fact mm -hmm. is they can find a way to sell the agenda. They're going to sell it because really this is about, we don't want trans people anywhere. State of Tennessee showed you that with the five bills they've passed, the slate of hate, they call it even mm -hmm. including saying you got to put up a sign saying that we let that we give that we let transgender people use the bathroom and the gender they dang well see fit to use it in. Just out everybody in Rocky Top. Why don't you, Governor Bill Lee? And mm. the reason is you got to get, you want to get reelected. This is politics. For Ron DeSantis and for Christy Noem, it's about going to the, try, trying to get in the White House in two years and maybe outflanking a Donald Trump reelection, a Donald right. Trump trying to get back in the White House bid. Mm. That's, there's politics for some people and for other people, it's just a erasure. And my thing is really people just need to get real about what they're about and quit mm -hmm. trying to couch it in all these things. We, I mean, quit trying to couch it. Stop it. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, everyone needs to hear the, this line of, of discourse, this like moving away from talking about fairness, moving away to talking about the specifics and understanding that this is actually about social exclusion and othering. This is actually about getting rid of these folks. Like you can say it's, oh, it's about fairness. No, but it starts in sport and then it goes to the right. bathroom and then it goes to restaurants and then it goes to access to education and then it goes this and, and, and it just happens everywhere. Yeah. And, and I think that is the most powerful thing I'm hearing that you're saying. I mean, and, that, and just to, go ahead, go ahead, Joanna, go ahead. I was just going to say when you were kind of, um, and again, this is like my ignorance when you were laying out for us sort of like, it's not just that it's like three years, right. That, that a trans female, um, person will have to like maintain their testosterone at a certain level, but it's like to get to that point, it takes a year and a half and I'm guessing maybe even longer. And well, then you're looking at five, five years. Yeah. It depends well, on yeah, the person. Yeah. I mean, right, look right, at right, my right. own experience to get from to get from where I started when I started a transition, because one of my goals is to go to nationals and triathlon and duathlon sometime in the next two years. But at the time when I started, when I started my, when I started my transition, it was the 10 nanomol standard, which was the standard of the IOC, World Anti-Doping Agency, and the International Triathlon Union, USA Triathlon. That was the standard. It took me about, it took me about 10, it took me about 12 months to reach, to go from where I started to being at that 10 nanomole point. And then I had to stay under that. Now, here's the little secret people don't tell you. 
It's like people say, oh, that's twice as much as the average female. No, first off, that's twice as much as the average sedentary cisgender woman. Mm. <laughs> the average cis sedentary cisgender woman. There's a big difference between sedentary and active. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and we're, and we're talking, in fact, um, there was a think tank that was contracted out to World Athletics a few years ago that did a study of almost 700 high-level track and field athlete i'm talking diamond league winners there were some world record holders in the group world champions olympic medalists and they found that there was like about and this was at the time of the 10 nanomole standard and then later they were considering the five nanomole standard which is there now i.e castor semenya rule in certain events they found that about six and a half percent of the women were 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 in the what was considered a male range and they found that about almost 7% of the men were in a female range, including they found uh, to a couple Olympic medal winners yeah. and, a, and a couple world record holders were under 2.2. That's, that's considered average for a cisgender woman who just sits and eats bonbons and watches The View. So it, it, this is not an the, exact science here. Yeah, it highlights the problem with measuring anything. Like we 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 decide on these factors. We decide as a or people governing bodies decide on these measurements and then they run with it. But we know then we find out the measurements aren't perfect. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Bodies are different across the board. Hard to predict. And yet we stick to those things. Yeah, yeah because, and, it's, because it's easy, because it's about selling the agenda. Outliers, right. they'll find right. any outlier to right. sell the agenda. Yep. Well, what I was going to say, and yes, yeah, so it depends on the body totally. It's not an exact thing because everyone's different. But like, if you're looking at the time, right, how long does it take for uh, someone to get their citizenship in the U.S., right? Because if you're, again, if you're looking at the time, not to mention the paperwork, all the stuff you have to go through, right? The, 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 the processes are kind of similar here in terms of like the length of time. And, and because we know that, that sport is like an entryway to eliminating all these other freedoms, right? I think that links really well with this idea that it sort of is a gateway to just like restricting uh, trans people further and further and further from like every, every kind of avenue in life. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of found that parallel kind of interesting. No, but that's one that, thing, obviously. Leah. But that's one thing also to discuss what Leah may have to go through right now mm -hmm. to compete at NCAAs according to these yeah. rules. Because technically, she's got to start getting paperwork into the NCAA by four, within four weeks of the, mm -hmm. of the championship competition. Now, four weeks is coming up roughly in about nine or ten days from the time that we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so she has to get a lot of paperwork in. And theoretically, you could have a situation, you may have a situation where Leah literally is flying down to Atlanta in March, ready to compete, literally possibly even walking up to the blocks and being told you're ineligible. Mm -hmm. That could happen. Yeah. That, that could very well happen because of the way these rules are set up. Now, the NCAA has given further clarification on that. And they're saying that, no, that won't happen, but you never know because it's still fuzzy as to what the school needs to do, what the athlete needs to do, and exactly where the line is. Because again, technically, according to USA Swimming, th their new regulations only apply to what they term is elite events. Now, mm -hmm. here's an important distinction people have to understand. 
the NCAA championship is not an elite event. Mm -hmm. But here's what here's another interpretation someone could also have. There are two events that are considered elite, the Pan American Games and the World University Games, which are mm -hmm. in which USA delegations to these contests are almost all college athletes. Mm. which means the NCAA has some purview in this case, which means the NCAA will, will follow, can follow USA swimming purview in this case and say, no, we're keeping you out. I mean, for all intents and purposes, in some ways, the NCAA championship, especially at the division one level is a de facto elite event, given that you're going to have Olympic, you're going to have Olympians in it. Yeah. This year's Olympic, this year's women's championship will have, I would say just off the top of my head, three or four Olympic medal winners, probably even more from the last Olympics that are going to be competing in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, now, okay. So, so there's, there's a question here that I've, I'm wanting to get your, your take on. And, and that is um, cis white U S Olympic swimmers uh, and Brooke Ford to our knowledge are, the only U.S. based Olympic swimmers who have publicly come out in support of Leah Thomas. From your vantage point as um, a journalist for so many, so many years, what do you think is the significance of what they said and what they did? Well, first off, for both of them, speaking out was huge. And mm -hmm. seeing Jacob Peebley going on his Instagram as a male swimmer coming out and saying, come on, let's have a little, a, Let's think about what we're really talking about here. That was very important. But Brooke Ford took a step for even further. And Brooke Ford, graduate student at Stanford University, was a silver medalist in Tokyo last year. Father is Pat Ford, writer for Sports Illustrated, co college football voice for the magazine. And she came out with a statement where she said, essentially, I may have to run against Leah. I may have to swim against Leah Thomas. And Leah Thomas does not deserve the vitriol she's been getting. It's not right. I think it's not right. I think that the treatment she's gotten is wrong. And I have no problem swimming against her. And to me, at one level, that was important because Brooke is in the warhead. Brooke is a person who's going to be taking those blocks, possibly against Leah Thomas, perhaps with a championship in the balance. And she basically said, I'm the person who got to swim here. Hey, she's one of us. She's one of me. That's my sister. And at another level, you know what? You've been running these great times, kid, but I'm, but I'm Pac-12. I'm Stanford. You think you got something? Come on, girl. <laughs> See you in Atlanta. <laughs> that's, the way I would, that's the way competitors are going to see it. And I really respect and like the fact that Brooke Ford had that statement. No matter how she felt, and that's the one thing, no matter how, Brooke's biggest thing was, I may not be sure if I'm, if I'm, I can be okay with it. I may not be sure about how I feel about the issue, but if she's done everything by the rule, she's going to be there. I'm ready to race. You know, it's either, you got two, what I say often to turfs is this, and I've ran into a couple of turfs at, a road, at an occasional road race or a multi-event competition I've been in. Even though I'm no threat to win, but it doesn't matter. The point is, um, hey, when you're trans, people got an issue. Some people may have an issue. And I say, you got, you got two choices. I'm legal by every metric and every rule, so you got two choices. You can either pack up and go home or shop and race. 
And then since mm-hmm. that's what Brooke is, that's what Brooke is sort of saying here. You know what? I'm not going to pack up and go home. We're going to compete. But the biggest thing is, no matter how I feel about this, I feel that this kid should not be getting the vitriol and just the just the flame war he's been getting and the treatment she's been getting. And that treatment has included something I really think we need to talk about, and that is these anonymous reports. Mm-hmm. We got it. We have to talk about this. These anonymous yeah, mentioned- reports. So you've mentioned elsewhere about sort of like libel and sort of like all these things. So I definitely would love to hear, yeah, hear you kind of explain for us what your thoughts are on these anonymous things and what maybe could be done about them, if anything. Well, there's a reason why I use that term libel is because Mm -hmm. let's take a look at these anonymous reports. After December 9th, when, after she came back from the Zippy invitation on Akron and and first off, there's been more than one. They say it's from one swimmer, uh, and then they say it's from a different swimmer, and it's been, it's been more than one swimmer, and, it, and parents have been involved. And there's the one where she was quoted as saying, the whole team, like, there's this one where this anonymous person was said, when the whole team is together, we have to be like, oh, gosh, go, Leah, that's great, you're amazing. It's very fake. That was December 9th, and that was in the, that was in the New York Post and the Daily Mail. Then January 24th, it escalated about how, quote, she was not even close to being competitive when competing as a man. That was in the Daily Fail, and it was also picked up by the, by the Post and by Fox, and Fox News ran that and nauseam infinitum. Quote, it's definitely awkward, and then, but the latest one, this was in the last week and a half, it's definitely awkward because Leah still has male body parts and still attracted to women, one swimmer on the team told Daily Mail in an exclusive interview. Leah has told her teammates that she dates women, according to the Daily Mail. Quote, multiple swimmers have raised it multiple different times, the UPenn swimmer said. But we're basically told that we cannot ostracize Leah by having her in the locker room and that there's nothing we can do about it. And that we basically have to roll over and accept her or we cannot use our own locker room. Now, that led to a Penn Law grad and known and women's activist and known turf, Kara Dansky, to basically write a letter to Penn, basically saying that, Leah is committing a crime under Pennsylvania state law. Indecent exposure. So basically you're calling Leah Thomas a sex offender based on an anonymous report. Now, now to me, here's where the libel comes in. Joanna, here's where the libel comes in. And first off, I know people are going to say things like, no, we should believe. Yes, we should believe women. Absolutely. We should. We should believe women, whether they're cis or trans, when it comes to sexual assault. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. here's my question. If it, if it has to go to this level, why wasn't, say, campus police reported to this? Why wasn't the police department report? Why wasn't this reported? Why did this first go to the daily, to the daily fail? That's my question. It's not true. There is my question. Mm-hmm. No, what this really is is something even more insidious than just that. This is the fact that you can say anything about a trans person, you can get away with it. That's what we're really looking at here. I can say anything about a trans person. I can call you a predator and people will buy it face value. They'll buy it face value. And that's what you're seeing here. And there are these people who say, well, we, we have to keep our name out of it because we're afraid of not getting a job. You just took away Leah Thomas's you took away T- Leah Thomas's life with that accusation. Yeah. Right. 
Right. If I was Leah, if I was a parent of that young woman, I would, me and some lawyers would be at the University of Pennsylvania saying, okay, look, you need to get this person in this room. My daughter mm. has a right to see the face of, my acu- of her accuser. Yeah. And that's my thing here. And that's my thing with all these anonymous reports. These have fit a pattern that's escalated and escalated and escalated. And these people can just hide. And these parents can hide. And all these people can hide. But Leah Thomas has nowhere to hide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and what happened to Leah Thomas could happen to any of us. That could happen to me. That could happen to Veronica Ivy. It could happen to just about any trans woman out here. What this does is set a tone. Mm-hmm. And it sets an ugly one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is just an example of the, type of, of the type of treatment that Leah's gotten in the press. And I've noticed that nobody who, who claims to be fairness, not even Nancy Hogshead mm-hmm. Makar, has, 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 has come out against this. Yeah. And that tell, and I, I think it's telling. I think that mostly, I think that a lot of these people claim to be about fairness. We're not about transphobia, but you're not speaking out against this. You're yeah. not speaking out against the Daily Fail, and even people in the, and even people in the mainstream sports, in the mainstream media, Pointer Institute. You need to be calling this out. Society of Professional Journalists. You need to be calling this out. Right. You need to be calling it. I mean, Jim Acosta, call this out. Mm-hmm. please call please journalists i'm a journalist this is fourth estate this is our business this is fake yeah. news here call it out this kid has been this kid's going through hell on lies and hearsay yeah and it's not right mm-hmm. and this and this is tarring a whole community with that brush yeah. and mm-hmm. and who wins here leah thomas i mean let again who wins here and now you've got a letter from these 16 kids saying, don't pursue any legal avenues if we don't, mm-hmm. don't pursue any legal avenues if Leah doesn't get to compete. By the way, who wrote that letter for them? Hogshead Maker, right? Yeah. All I can say is this. If, this was, if these anonymous things were really that important, put names on it. Mm-hmm. Let Leah Thomas get to see the faces of her accusers. Not to mention the anonymity of like, right. The whole argument that like certain people that they need to be protected as people who are quote unquote, supposedly fearful, supposedly the 16 people be at the, like the power imbalance between all these people, right? The power imbalance between a cis, Sorry, between a, a trans female person like Leah Thomas compared to that of like a cisgender uh, person like myself, right? They're not the same, right? The fear, the level of fear, the level of harm is is fundamentally different here, and and that's because they are refusing to see her as who she as who she is and has as who she says she is, right? They refuse to see her as a trans person. Well, they and refuse so, to see her as yeah. a person. They refuse True. to see her as a citizen. And, and, yeah. and to, in a sense, that's all these groups that are passing these laws. Yeah. As a, a transgender person, it's an affront to me. And as a transgender American, it is a, it's an affront to me. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah. I want a little thing, a little quick thinking experiment. Let's flip the script. Mm-hmm. Let's, say, let's say Leah Thomas is walking home on campus one night and sexually assaulted. 
and she reports it. Let's just say that trans people in law enforcement often don't mix. Yeah. And that's something, and that's something we, like, for example, that's something that we, uh, like, as a worker at Trans Lifeline, we have stats on this. Yeah. We have stats on, we have stats on the level of distrust because it's happened. Trans people have reported sexual assault and, and authorities often do nothing. Or we're all, or it's often blame the victim time. Yeah. Even worse. I mean, it, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it's a whole different, I mean, come on, this is, hmm. I, and I'm, and come on for 51, is something like what? 51 transgender people directly murdered for being who they are in this country in the last year and 38 of them match yeah. my skin tone. Yeah. And, and of that 38, there's something like what? Something like, like 33 of them are unsolved at this point. Hmm. That is, that's, Joanna, that's the power imbalance that you're talking about here. Mm, You can, you can tar, you, I mean, they've been calling trans people predators forever. They've been doing it. And that's what they're trying to do. That was the whole bathroom panic. Some, some, Mm. some man dressed as a woman is going to go in and mess with your child when the, when the actual stats have shown. And even the people that tried to sell this hysteria admitted it was a lie and the stats didn't prove it. They they admit it was a total lie, but people bought it. And it's the same thing with here, and that's why again with these anonymous reports, we have to we really have to be vigilant. We have to start calling it out, and and I'm and I'm also calling on in some ways University of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. the Ivy League, mm-hmm. the, the NCAA. Y'all got to step in. You have to step in and say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is our student. This is our student. This is student athlete is a part of our conference. This is a part. I mean, this is a, a student athlete who's competing in under NCAA sanction. We have to. I mean, that that's what we need. We need. I, I mean, it was great for a Jacob Peebley to stand up. We need more of them. Right. We need more right. of them. And we need and yeah. especially we need we need people in the fourth estate to start stepping up and saying no. We need people. We need people in the average saying no. Quite frankly, one of the one of the best things the NCAA should do is just say, Daily Mail, you're not getting no credential for you. Mm. For sure. Start start mm. pulling credential. Start saying no credentials to the people that are opening that are opening for doing this, that are engaging in this campaign, that are engaging in this. Don't credential them for this. Yeah. Don't, don't let them, don't, don't let those snakes in the room. And that's at another level. This discussion could be a gateway to making sport better. The NCAA regulations on their face are not bad regulations. They were rushed regulation, but they have an opportunity to get it right. Now, how do you get it right? You bring in the stakeholders. You bring, you do exactly what you did in 2011, which is you brought in stakeholders. You brought in people, you brought in your coaches and your administrators and your student athletes, and you brought in student athletes who are cis, and you brought in student athletes who are trans, and you brought in people who, who are, you brought in other people who are experts. You brought in endocrinologists and doctors and people who work with trans people, and you brought in mental health experts, and you brought in people who are well-versed in LGBTQ inclusion like a Dr. Pat Griffin. You brought them in, you sat at the table and say, okay, we need a policy, so let's build one based on the concept of inclusion first. You, you have an opportunity to do the same thing here. The thing the NCAA should have done at the beginning and say, 
we're going to institute these new policies next fall. But in the but as we in, but what we're going to do is we're going to bring a panel of people together. We're going to call some experts in, like a Chris Mosier and a Veronica Ivy. Mm-hmm. We're going to call some people. We're going to get inclusion experts in, and we're going to sit them down at the table. And people who have a stake in and people who have their state a proven stake in inclusion get a seat at this table. And then we're going to hammer out some policy. No, Nancy Hogshead Maycard does not get a seat at this table. Mm-hmm. Based on your actions, you don't get one. You don't get one because simply put, no. When you use terms like biological males constantly at your website, when you go on TV and talk about biological females, biological males, when you can, and then you engage in the exact same level of vitriol, you just Mm -hmm. do it in a lot more polite and sneaky and precise manner than say a Tucker Carlson does. When you engage in, you can't be in this. You, you've picked the, in many ways you have picked the side, you will go to that side. And that's what I'm, and that's what I'm seeing in the discord. The NCAA is an opportunity to get this right. And I say, get it right, get back, get it, get people together. But one thing I will say, the NCAA, cause I know this is a question that's out there right now. Should Leah Thomas be allowed to compete at the NCAA tournament? Yes. She should be, she should be in Atlanta in March and swimming. She should be in Atlanta, March and swimming. Get you. In fact, NCAA, I'm going to push you. Declare it right now and say, look, Leah's done everything by the rules. Leah's done everything by the rules. She's done everything by our rules. It's the middle of the season. She's already has her place in. She's in. End of story. Mm-hmm. And we're done. And we're not going to take any more debate on this. We're not taking any questions on this. See you in Atlanta. Done. Yeah. That's the fair. That's fairness for Leah, yeah. because Leah could use a little bit of fairness in this deal too. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Where where is the equity and where is the inclusion um, for 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 Leah and for others, Castor Semenya, for countless countless others, for people whose name we don't know yet, mm-hmm. uh, and we will in the future. Absolutely. We started this ep- episode when we talked about the the quote, um, quoting a. a uh, podcast nothing about us without us and i think like as you're saying as you're as you're speaking that's what i'm that's what i'm hearing mm-hmm. in terms of of ways forward ways in in which we can we can make sport a a, a truly inclusive space which is like our podcast is a hundred percent that is all we're trying to do we're trying to uncover harms and make it a a, a fair inclusive um equitable place and and one of the questions that I guess we have for our for our listeners, because if you haven't figured it out on our listeners, this is a no anti-trans rhetoric mm. space. Like none of that is allowed on this space. But to push ourselves even further, what can we, what can our listeners, what can Johanna, myself, Nathan, what can we do to to make change in the space of sport and make it more inclusive for everyone? For starters, listen to trans people. Mm. Mm. And mm-hmm. I thank you for giving me the space. And I know that I probably ran off at the mouth a little bit. Not at all. But, but, Not at all. This is but, perfect. No, but the point is, listen to trans voices. Make it a point to really listen to trans voices. Even trans voices we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. because there's plenty of trans voices. There's enough room in this discussion, even for voices that we may not agree with. 
But the point is, let those voices have a say. But as far as what we're seeing in the landscape, the first thing is, if you're seeing these anti-trans bills where you live, fight them. Mm -hmm. Because these things are about a lot more than what they seem to be about. At one level, it's just... It could be just school sports, but all, but in a lot of ways, this is an assault on public education as a whole. Yeah. Betsy sure. DeVos knew what she was doing when she was secretary of miseducation under the Trump regime. Yes, I, I never use the term. I will never use the term administration when we talk about the presidency of Donald Trump. I will always use the term regime. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like the Biden regime is really no different. Yeah. Because President Biden yeah. said, you have our back. President Biden, I have yet to see you have my back here. You're, yeah, you've been a day late and a dollar short on a lot of this. You have. Yeah. All mm-hmm. this stuff getting passed, and I'm not here, and I need my president to take the bully pulpit right now. I need you to do it. Especially on this stuff like this ridiculous law in Florida saying you can't say gay. Gay. I got oh news for you, God, Mr. I, I got a news for you, Governor DeSantis. We already have a way to stop that. We're not going to say gay. We're just going to have teachers say to We've already been to this one. <laughs> Uncle George already gave us that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Uncle that, George to Thank you for that, Uncle George. <laughs> but what we need cis people to do is speak mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speak out. Speak out and, and keep speaking out. And, and speak out even when your voice shakes. Because it's easy to speak mm-hmm. out when you're surrounded by trans people, but I need you speaking out when there's not a trans person in the room. I need you speaking out when it's just you, when it's just you and your neighbors, you and your friends, and when you hear someone saying like, this Leah Thomas is a cheat. I need you in that face to say, no, here's the facts. That's what I need. That's what we need. And yes, I know that mostly this is more of a leftist to Democrat audience, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you liberal Democrats. Fix the transphobia in your own party. Yeah. Please. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's your fight too. Yeah. Please. Please. You, because the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of you. A certain, prom, mm. a certain prominent Czech American with a good backhand is a perfect example of this. Martina Navratilova can be liberal to leftist on everything, but when it comes to trans people, she's straight MAGA. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We need to start challenging that. We need to start challenging that across the board. We need to start challenging that. And also I'm going to, I want to, I want to send a quick shout out to, to people in my community for a minute. Cause I know black folks are listening to the show, but black folks, I need you. Cisgender black family, where you at? Because I need you right now. Because now, yes, it's Leah Thomas. And yeah, I know it's a lie thinking, okay, some privileged white girl at Ivy League school. Two years ago, it was somebody who was black like us going through the same vitriol. Last year, it was two teenage kids who were black like us who just happened to be trans who were called everything but a child of God by a K Street hit squad called the ADF. Oh, excuse me. I, I'm, not, I'm not addressing them properly. A Christian dominionist white nationalist K Street hit squad called mm-hmm. the Alliance Defending Freedom. Mm-hmm. And, I will, and I know they're a Christian group, and I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a praying woman myself. But I'm going to tell you something. I find it very hard to forgive what they did to those two girls. 
we have got we've got to start really this is another front in the fight to preserve our democracy as a whole let's understand the stakes here tony ben said it best that each generation must continue the fight the fights necessary to secure democracy and right now our democracy is in the balance i'm going to tell you there's some there's a noted trans advocate, author, former Navy pilot, Bren Tannehill, who wrote a great book about this called American Fascism. That's my book selection for this podcast. <laughs> Re, no, this gives what we're seeing in the, this gives the January, the post January 6th discourse that we're seeing through the eyes of trans people. And we're seeing wow. how this unmitigated transphobic assault on transgender Americans is translating in the greater discussion about our democracy, which is hanging in the balance right now. Yeah. Right now. Folks, you may think it's a, it's a, it always starts with the, it always starts with the marginalized. It always starts. It always, it always starts there. That's where this type Mm -hmm. of authoritarianism, and I'm going to say it, fascism, let's call it what it is. That's where it starts. It starts. They go after the tra- they go after a trans kid who wants to swim at, at Penn or a trans high school student who just wants to run track for the school. Well, I'm not neither, so I didn't speak up. Then you know what? <clears throat> then they get the trans people out of the way, and then they start going after the gay folks again. It's like, well, shoot, I'm not gay. I don't speak up. Mm-hmm. And then and in the meantime, oh, Roe versus Wade. Well, I don't need an abortion, so I really don't want to <laughs> speak up. Um, then they go after voting rights. Well, shoot, I'm not black or brown. I don't speak up. Ne- then you know what? They come for you. Mm-hmm. And you know how the poem ends. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can't and think I just, of... Oh, go ahead, Zora. I, I was just going to say, you know, to your point, like we need all these other people to speak up and, you know... Derek and Nathan have heard me rant and rage about this in our Twitter DMs ad nauseum, but within the swimming community, I mean, there's so many people with a lot of power that could do so much. I mean, Michael Phelps made his transphobia very clear, right? He came out and said it, and this is someone who heads up a supposedly a mental health uh, foundation, which is clearly a crock of BS. Then there are lots, you know, Katie Ledecky could say something. I mean, Swim Swam just did this like poll online of people saying, you know, like if Caleb Dressel and Katie Ledecky were to race, I don't remember what race it is, who 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 would win? And like, okay, so it's like, okay, well, A, who, who cares? cares? And it's also like, okay, so you care about the two of them racing, but right, but it when it when a trans athlete isn't involved, like that's not okay. Um, but there are so many, there's so many swimmers that I know that are doing mental health work, that are mentors for young swimmers, et cetera. You know, the, at the Duluth sisters made their transphobia very clear. And all these people are just like so silent. These people who are like mental health and go women, let's celebrate women in sports day. And then they don't say shit about trans people, but you're right. They will come for them eventually. No, but, like that's no, but the thing. Here's the, but here's the thing. See, one thing about a lot of these people, I don't know if they're transphobic, but I know that there's a lot of ignorance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only yeah. way you're going to counter, and the only way you're going to counter a lot of that ignorance is you got to put their hat, you have to get, you have to get trans voices more in front. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that means passing some microphones. And that means in a lot of ways, pushing 
for example, that means in a lot of ways that that means pushing producers and pushing people who book these shows and who book different shows and pushing them to say, no, you got to get a trans voice and you got to get trans voices in this story. Yeah. And that's another thing for sports media, for starters, our reporters read your, read your style book, please. Yeah. Yeah. Read your AP style book. Glad helped them write these, to help, help mm-hmm. them write their section on LGBTQ people for a reason. Read it. Another, and also have that rule. Take it to heart. Nothing about us without us. Put trans voices in there. And I don't mean, and I don't mean try it out Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get some trans voices that are going to get some trans voices that are going to talk about one. Well, get some get some trans athletes who are dealing with this. Get them. And also another thing, you know what? There's a lot of trans star power. There's a lot of trans talent out there. Trevell Anderson, excellent, excellent columnist. Brittany De La Creda. Mm-hmm. I look at Caitlin Burns. Caitlin Burns is covering Capitol Hill. Yeah. You mean to tell me she wouldn't be an asset to your newsroom? Yeah. You need trans right. people in your newsroom. Yeah. Right. We need trans people who are sitting in the newsrooms and sitting in the budget meeting. Christina Carl, love her to death. First trans person to be running, to be an executive e- editor of a major daily newspaper in this country. She's running the sports department at the, Sa- at the, at the San Francisco Examiner right now. She is doing the job. She's, she's in out front doing the job. She can't do it alone. Yeah. Right. And you right. get, you gotta have, I mean, when you have equity in newsrooms, no matter what type of equity, because the fact of the matter is you don't have enough, you don't have enough LGBTQ people in general in newsrooms. You still yeah. don't have enough black and brown folk in newsrooms. Yeah. You don't have enough, mm-hmm. you don't have enough white women in newsrooms still. You got more, but you don't have enough. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. You don't have enough disabled people in newsrooms. Yeah. You don't have enough of all these voices, and then you wonder why, why your cover of all coverage of all these issues are so piss poor, and people are drunk, are driving down on you because right. you got to get you got to get people who know you got to get people who know their lies better than you do actually covering these things and actually yeah. in your newsrooms, and in many ways getting you hip to what's going on. Yeah. And that's yeah. what, and that's what, that's the biggest thing that, now that's where people, cis people like yourselves can come in by opening mm-hmm. up your forums, but also asking the critical question, whether it's in your state legislature, ask your, le- every cis person knows who their legislator is. If you see these bills coming, you need to be getting in your legislator's face saying, why are you voting? Why are you voting yes on this? Why aren't you voting no on this? Mm-hmm. We think it's wrong. Whether whether you have trans kids or not is immaterial. The point is, especially if you're a parent, if it's your, what if that was your child getting, getting attacked the way the, the way the, I've seen, I've covered, I've covered hearings in like a dozen states since 2020. I have heard parents literally be called child abusers to their face because they affirm their child who is trans. Mm. I have heard people insult them. I have heard, I have seen, while a young trans, like a young transgender child, a young transgender boy or girl is testifying, lip syncing for their life, really, when you think about it, and yeah. I've seen, and I've seen legislators do this, be on their phone, not even listening. Yeah, yeah. that's the. I mean, that's the stuff that people know. It take it takes a, at the very least, even if you just do that. Even if you just, even if you happen to see that legislator say, you, legislator, listen to what this kid's saying. Even mm-hmm. if you just do that, it helps. 
But I need, but we need people just stepping in. Got to step into it. Mm-hmm. Step into it because this is about ultimately it's about what type of country do we want? What type of society do we mm-hmm. want? And that's what we're really talking about here. It's not just sports to the people that are pushing it. Yeah. They want a certain society for a certain end. And for the bulk of us, we don't fit in that. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, where want... it needs to cut. What type of what yeah. we talk about America, what kind of America do you want? Mm-hmm. Answer that question. Absolutely. I I want to I want a society that's truly inclusive. And and you're completely right and that may, that makes that makes all of us have to put in time and and mm-hmm. effort and and listen to people and amplify people and oftentimes amplify people who aren't like us and from our circles so we're very appreciative carly mm-hmm. for you coming on our well, show sharing your take with us sharing everything with us please please let me know that you will come back on the show at some oh, point I'll, oh i'll always <laughs> be good for because i mean I mean, I was looking forward to doing this, and thanks, Johanna, I was able to do uh, Najee Ali's podcast, Crossing, yeah, Crossing oh, the yeah. Lane Lines, which was big fan. which was special. I, I'm a huge fan of that because I've learned a lot about I've learned a lot about my people in the pool and in the water, mm-hmm. and so much, especially about how how the pool was colonized and how sports has been mm-hmm. colonized. That that right. was history lesson for yeah. me. So yeah. no, it's good, but it's also good to see how you're digging into the issues. And I want, I'll tell you one issue I'd love to come back to talk about is the Brian, is the Brian Flores lawsuit, because I think that's important. I think it's, I think it's important and it, I think it's necessary. And Oh, one last, one last thing I want to talk about here, because I think this is important because how do you know you're talking to a turf about sport? Mm. How do you know? I'm going to tell you how, you know, this is not a joke. I'm giving a serious example. How do you know you're talking about a turf about sports? Because I've talked to many turfs. Hey, turf, got a question for you. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the WNBA's collective bargaining agreement? What's your, what's your view on what happened with USA Gymnastics? And what's your view on the safe sports regulations and the changes that have come from it? What's your view on, what's your view on funding equity? What's your view on funding equity at the scholastic level and the intercollegiate level? What's your view about the discrepancies in scholarship monies between men's and women? What's your view on the discrepancies in funding and the, and the inequity in terms of facilities and funding and travel? How did you feel about weight room gate? I noticed that a lot of these groups, like Save Women's Sports and Women's Liberation Front, they didn't have anything to say about that. Mm-hmm. Because usually, and I've heard people, I've heard some of these people say, well, that's not really our issue. <laughs> that's when you know you're talking to a turf about sports because they don't care about all this other stuff. Yeah. See, they're just here, they're just here to mess with the trans women. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Because if you're really, a, if you're really, if you're really Bechdel level serious about your sports feminism, you got to take on that. You know mm-hmm. that the WNBA, you know the WNBA collective bargaining agreement is not only a, collect, a collective bargaining agreement that women should look at, Major League Baseball players in a lockout, you need to take a look at that too. Yeah. That's, the most for, that's one of the most forward-thinking agreements in sports ever. It's probably the most forward-thinking. 
because it's thinking about things that not only affect it they affect families because think about it we we dehumanize sports in that we've dehumanized sports to the point where we think athletes are machines and now all of a sudden people are upset because i mean people are saying no we're not machines naomi osaka said i'm not a machine Mm -hmm. you're upset Mm -hmm. about that colin kaepernick Mm -hmm. said i'm not a machine yeah Serena Williams got treated like a piece of a got treated like a machine giving birth to a kid and nearly died. Now, if that can happen to Serena, that can happen to anybody. If one of the most famous athletes in the world can practically be ignored in a neonatal ER unit and be told and and have to advocate for herself while hemorrhaging while giving childbirth, that can happen to mm. any of us. Yeah. We need yeah. to be think we need this we need the, the humanization of sports is what we're really talking about here. At a greater level and that is the thing people don't realize is that these people who claim to be saving women's sports they don't care a dang about women's sports and they never have no and they and they'd be more than happy to throw title nine under the bus to get their 20 pieces of the patriarchy and that's the thing other thing people got to realize some people are using this to get closer to that to get closer to their piece of patriarchy yeah for sure a patriarchy that does none of us any good certainly doesn't do me any dang bit of good. Yeah. The patriarchy is trying to get rid of me and mine. Yeah. yeah. And as we're on the, the cusp of fascism, as, as you've articulated incredibly well, there's no such thing as a single issue. There's no such thing as a single issue. Because we don't live single issue lives. That's right. Thank you, Audrey right. Lord. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. What a perfect way to end. Carly Chardonnay Webb, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you for having we me. We are incredibly, incredibly grateful for this conversation. We've taken up so much of your time, but we're, we're <laughs> grateful and humbled. And we will get you back on this show to discuss um, racial discrimination in football, Brian Flores, all of these things. I think it would be brilliant. So please do come back. I look forward and I look forward to coming back. You keep doing what you're doing because it's important for those of us who love our society and love want a better society and for those of us who want better sports being a part of that better society <laughs>